You're listening to an ACA podcast. Hello, my name is Bianca Winata Putri, and I'm the Public Programs Coordinator at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. It is my pleasure to welcome you to ACA's 2021 lecture series, Experimental Institutionalism, Contemporary Art and Curatorial Ecologies. I would like to start by acknowledging the people of the Kulin Nations as custodians of the lands on which ACA is located. I extend my respects to elders past, present and future and to all First Nations people tuning into this program. Across seven different topics, ACA's 2021 lecture series explores an array of artistic, exhibition, curatorial, editorial, and institutional models that are shaping contemporary art and curatorial practice in these radically changing times. Bringing together international and Australian speakers in each session, the series seeks to explore alliances that can be drawn across borders, as well as the ways in which we might work and learn differently in response to the specificities of locality, place, culture, and community. For this seventh and final dialogue in the series, we are delighted to welcome and introduce curators Biliana Sirik and Iliana Fogia-Anaki with a focus on experimental institutionalism, rethinking infrastructures and curatorial practice. Iliana Fokianaki is a curator, theorist and educator based in Athens and Rotterdam. Her research focuses on formations of power and how they manifest under the influence of geopolitics, national identity and cultural and anthropological histories. In 2013, she founded State of Concept Athens, the first nonprofit institution of its kind in Greece, which she directs to this day. Her most recent project, the Bureau of Care, which started in 2020, received the European Cultural Foundation Solidarity Grant. Iliana has lectured in academies, independent spaces, museums, and foundations worldwide, such as Vera Lee Center for Art and Politics at Columbia University, ICA London AO. She publishes regularly in journals such as Eflux and Freeze and has participated in several publications. She's currently at the advisory committee of Azarka Avenue's residency program. Her book Gossips will be published in 2021. And for this lecture, Ileana will walk through her journey in curatorial practice and further discuss her recent projects, the Bureau of Care, reflecting on current and future infrastructures of art institutions. Ileana Sirik is a curator and researcher. She was co-curator of the third Oral Industrial Biennale for Contemporary Art in Yekat Terenberg in 2015. And she's also a curator in residence at Cadiz Art Foundation in Paris in 2015 and a research fellow at Henny Onstad Kunst Center in 2016. In 2018, she established the educational platform, What Could Should Curating Do? And currently she's developing a long-term project titled As You Go, The Roads Under Your Feet Towards a New Future as part of her practice-based PhD in curatorial practice at Monash University, Melbourne. In this lecture, Biliana will speak to her two projects, What Could Should Curating Do? and As You Go, The Roads Under Your Feet Towards a New Future, with a focus on interdependence and the importance of education in the arts and in times of crisis. Iliana and Biliana, thank you so much for joining us. It's a great honor to have your involvement in our 2021 series of dialogues and to focus today on experimental institutionalism, rethinking infrastructures, and curatorial practice. 
Without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to you, Ileana, to start our conversation. Hello. Uh, thank you very much, Bianca and Aka, for the invitation. And I'm very happy to be uh, talking actually to the first Australian institution. <laughs> so very happy to be amongst uh, great uh, colleagues and thinkers today. Um, I'm going to start by I think it's kind of more makes sense that I give a brief overview of what state of concept is and how it came to be in what conditions back in 2013 and kind of rush through um, our exhibition program somehow quickly and then um, have a second uh, part of discussing the Bureau of Care in our current uh, program. So I'll share my screen now with you. Let's see. Fantastic. So um, State of Concepts basically began instituting sometime in May 2013. Um, I, my background was uh, having studied uh, arts criticism in London and, and living there. And I came back in 2005, mainly because the art scene in Greece was literally at Teranulius. There were very little things that were happening um outside of the let's say more commercial gallery sector or the very rich uh, oligarchs that were running their own foundations so um already um by 2006 when i've settled back um i was thinking of uh, what is missing in the art scene and what i would like to do myself however uh, very quickly soon after the global financial crisis hit so um, I was thinking of going back. I, I, I lived a couple of years in Paris. And in any case, I realized that um, it's much better to kind of start from scratch and have the possibility to build things anew in, in let's say, an art ecology that is still uh, very much, um, you know, spurring new things. So um, until then, in terms of nonprofit spaces that were independent and were not state state run museums, there was nothing of, of the sort. Uh, we, we, we had a lot of initiatives and a lot of wonderful projects that were mainly part-time operating, say, for instance, only in the summer months or, you know, um, uh, squatted or what have you. So State of Concept kind of created a space where uh, it was the same place with the same address with specific uh, working hours, opening hours and such. That's why uh, I say it was the first of its kind uh, in the sense of kind of mimicking and emulating what I have been seeing in London all these years of all these like independent spaces that were literally operating um, as any other museum or institution. Um, further, we wanted to kind of fill the gap in terms of uh, the types of works and practices that were shown in Greece. Uh, there was a lack in terms of the socially and politically engaged or more directly engaged, let's say, practices. And that's where we kind of came in and said, this is the uh, work we're interested in. This is what we would want to present. And also to uh, allow for artists, for these types of practices and the artists that practice them to um, show a little bit the, the way that their practice has developed. So solo exhibitions were the ones that we were choosing most and we're still choosing more. more. So after 2013, after we opened, there, there has been, of course, a surge of, of nonprofits that uh, opened with a peak, of course, with Documenta 14 coming to Athens. Now, uh, for me, uh, situating uh, uh, 
an institution in the geopolitics that it operates with in uh, is quite important. So here I have a map uh, from the International Monetary Fund of from 2008, uh, just at the brink of the financial global financial crisis, where it has um, the very specific ways of, um, let's say, separating countries according to their uh, financial means, which is, of course, a way of discrimination that kind of occurred already after the Second World War. Uh, it, one part of my of my research art actually is looking into the super state formations and how they have um, coined terms such as developed country, developing country, underdeveloped, so or so-called first world, second world, uh, third world countries, and the implications that these types of categorizations had. But this is for another lecture. But to uh, to 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 point this this map of uh, coming from an international monetary fund, uh, a super state that has so much power. Um, it, Greece was before the financial crisis or before the crisis that hit us in 2010, considered a developed country. You see it in blue uh, somewhere uh, there in the middle of the screen. However, um, in that other uh, research that is not from the International Monetary Fund that kind of gives money, uh, we are considered the periphery. And the concept of periphery that has been very, let's say, popular during the 90s in curatorial discussions and practices somehow for me came back uh, specifically after the global financial crisis uh, and how the ripples of that affected, uh, you know, the world that was not in the center of the imperium, if you, if you will, like not Europe and not the US. So the moment that State of Concept uh, opened in 2013, we were going through a very acute financial crisis. We were also going, I would say it was a plurality of crises because there was a crisis of, of, uh, of a national identity as such of Greece, you know, always being in between the East and West and not knowing exactly where they belong, being, um, I would say, portrayed very negatively by the European Union and realizing that they don't really belong to this kind of white Catholic Protestant Christian club. Um, and um, I think it, 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 it affected very much also the art world and how the art world understood itself. Um, and, um, you know, uh, also what is Greece known for and what Greece actually is. Of course, everybody knows Greece for the ancient ruins uh, as the mother of the Western civilization and all these things. Uh, but actually, Greece, uh, you know, is a so-called developing country. Uh, you know, this is also the Olympic Games in 2004. Um, uh, and not, uh, not what one has in mind in terms of uh, the North Europe uh, and, uh, you know, the colonial legacies uh, that the white North Europe has. So um, a lot of things changed in Athens. This is a, a, a poster actually from 2007 uh, entitled Destroy Athens. It was very prophetic. It's the first Athens biennial, actually. It was a very prophetic title because Athens actually afterwards was burned and destroyed with a very big riot of 2008. We, of course, had, you know, acute poverty, um, uh, disenfranchise and, uh, of, of uh, the working class uh, during that period. So when we actually, this is an, from very, one very famous local, um, also um, graffiti artist, Euro Disney, uh, during those years uh, of uh, a supposed Brexit that never happened, and then you had, sorry, Grexit that never happened, and then you actually had a Brexit. So um, within the riots and the, you know, turbulent kind of times, 
um, some very interesting events, of course, happened. Uh, and for us at the moment is realizing where we stand as cultural art workers in Greece. Very overworked, extremely precarized um, workers the whole scene was operating with DIY economy. So one is a technician, is a cleaner, is a press officer, is a gallery assistant, all these things. Funds uh, that are allocated uh, in terms of what is needed. So maintenance and running costs, taxes, production, uh, artist fees, and then uh, curatorial fees if they exist. And spending of funds uh, in order to receive a visibility capital, which supposedly brings in other forms of capital, not necessarily. So all these privileges of, of an art worker in a turbo capitalist neoliberalism of today to kind of supposedly have some uh, relative control of your own time, um, you know, having uh, especially in comparison, yes, to other workers, having a different experience of everyday life, to have the possibility to be a meaning creator. All these things were things that we were discovering uh, during those years, trying to somehow catch up also on what was happening in a, in a global uh, uh, cultural uh, practice level. So, of course, having all these contradictions, being a creator of meaning does not be, uh, mean uh, value creator, uh, working within an artistic economy system without rules and a market that is not uh, very ethical, you know, um, having uh, a focus on social political practice, uh, but doesn't mean that you can have an effect um, or the same level of visibility or uh, responsibility, depending on, on, on where you come from and such. So all these questions uh, basically informed state of concept uh, into not only hosting exhibitions, and of course, as I previously said, we were hosting exhibitions, usually solo exhibitions, three of solo exhibitions and one group exhibition every year, inviting an international curator to look, find more about the scene. Um, but public program events, workshops, and free one-to-one -one tutorials, which we thought was quite important because the university actually, or the art school in Greece did not provide it. So um, the initial idea was to somehow, somehow identify what was occurring, really respond to what was happening socio-politically and geopolitically in the country, but also to try to um, catch up and uh, filter, let's say, the bigger uh, questions that were relating to, to institutional critiques, to the profession at large, et cetera. So uh, just to run by some of our exhibitions, this was the first exhibition that we did of Basim Makdi, um, an Egyptian artist um, uh, that many of you may know. Uh, this is a solo exhibition of a Greek artist named Margarita Bofiliou. This is a group exhibition, uh, Idiopolis, uh, from a collective in Berlin. Um, this is an exhibition curated by Nick Eikens from the Van Abe Museum in the Netherlands, a uh, group show. Of course, in all the invited uh, participants, the invited curators, we always had one rule that you have to include one Greek artist in order for them to familiarize their, themselves. Because, of course, this was, again, as I said, pre-documenta, so not a lot of people were interested in new Greek artists as much. Um, this is a solo exhibition of Laure Prouveau, um, the French artist and performer. performer. Um, this is a solo exhibition of Jonas Stahl. I, I'm just going to stay with this exhibition one moment because, again, as I said, for us, it was very important to kind of reflect on, on what was happening in a very uh, of the moment. So our program also really has this kind of journalistic approach to it, that it changes 
um, very quickly. And this time, it was the first uh, time actually with this exhibition called After Europe uh, that opened two days after the Brexit that we saw reality really uh, turning more dystopic than the imagination of, of, of an artist. Um, so Documenta, of course, arrived. Um, we had uh, our first very big, during Documenta, we had our first very big research platform, which is something that we also do. The second one is the Bureau of Care, for which I'll talk about in a bit, um, where we, we really tried to bring uh, about all these things that related to precarious uh, work in the periphery. It was called Future Climates and we were running it with, collect, uh, with uh, colleague curator Antonia Lampi, who used to run uh, Savvy until recently. Uh, so we were also very much looking into, uh, you know, the infrastructural uh, faux pas, let's say, that, that occurred within the region in terms of how uh, small-scale institutions were surviving, how they were paying themselves, paying their collaborators, etc. Um, this is the uh, solo exhibition of um, forensic architecture, again, in response very much uh, to what uh, was happening in the country. Uh, the exhibition opened in September 2019. It was after the change of government uh, from uh, left-leaning center government of Syriza to a right-wing government, where we um, witnessed already in July 2019, when we had the elections, an acute um, increase of police violence um, and uh, racist slurs. Uh, there was uh, an increase in terms of um, attacks to refugees and migrants, although, of course, we, we already had the, the Golden Dawn going into prison and everything. Um, so the exhibition and the public program that followed the exhibition was very much focused on that, on police violence, state violence, in, in stated and legitimized violence. Um, uh, specifically in Greece, whereas the show itself, uh, because of course forensic architecture have done two investigations of four into murders, uh, one anti-fascist rapper, musician, and an LGBTQI activist. Uh, but we decided not to show uh, these works, to focus on the international works and actually have a public program that reflects very much on the local. This was uh, an exhibition that we, ma we, was, we managed to do with, within the COVID period. Um, these are the wonderful colleagues, refugees uh, from a collective uh, uh, from the Open School for Migrants. Uh, this was a show that was done together with Russian collective Stodala, uh, where they worked and produced a new film uh, with, um, uh, with the Open School for Migrants in Piraeus. Uh, this is like a clip from the film and actually the film is now currently um, uh, being uh, screened with a public program in Framer Framed Amsterdam. I think it's in a week's time. Um, this is images from their exhibition at State of Concept. And of course, COVID, we were closed. We did have very strict measures. It was not as strict as Australia, but pretty strict, I would say. So we were closed for about eight months, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from October to May. Um, this is an exhibition of Kadratia. Again, very much reflecting on local questions, uh, specifically questions that relate to repatriation. And uh, the show of Kadra actually inaugurated the Bureau of Care, uh, which is the project that I will talk about now, which is from a recent research uh, platform um, that spurred actually because of the COVID pandemic. 
So our position has always been, you know, to look at what we do with a very kind of self-criticizing uh, lens. So uh, during, and I think a little bit before uh, COVID struck, um, it was very clear that a lot of art institutions are eager to talk about care. And for me, that was very interesting and at the same time, very cringy in a way, because institutions, specifically the very big ones, have been extremely careless for decades. So it was very much a conundrum. Oh, uh, everybody's very happy to talk about care when there is no uh, justice in terms of how funds are allocated, how people get paid. Everybody's very happy to talk about care when there is no uh, social justice and race justice in the institutions, when institutions are very white in the way that they, um, their, their staff kind of reflects uh, their choices, their thematics, uh, the fact that they don't address as such current conditions of society because they you know play very much this idea of the neutrality of the art institution so that's how the bureau of care stemmed and also i have to say i was having a conversation with silvia federici at the, at that moment and i remember her telling me uh, ah you know a lot of art institutions invite me uh, to speak about uh, my work during the 70s for wages for housework campaign and everything and all the current work and theory that I'm producing, but they very rarely ask me where does this theory come from, how, from whom and by, by what am I inspired, which is hundreds of, of women's groups in basements in New York, in Mexico, in, you know, in, in places in the world. And I thought to myself that it's, of course, the art institution is extremely um, uh, comfortable to use theory wherever it comes from from academia but much more less uh, comfortable to actually uh, go directly to the source uh, when it comes uh, to these like let's say radical practices and specifically when it comes to care work uh, we were very interested to actually go directly to the source and, and learn it from the horse's mouth uh, as as we can say so the bureau of care basically is um, discussions with a variety of care workers. The, the idea of care, of course, here it's, it's quite um, vague and uh, it's a big umbrella. It can be uh, first aid responders, it can be people that work in hospitals, it can be uh, people that help refugees, it can be, uh, you know, um, several different things. Um, and we have, we are working with several institutions uh, in Europe. One of them is Kunsthalevien, the other one is the Latvian Center for Contemporary Art, the other one is Framer Framed in Amsterdam, and many, many others, Kunsthal Trondheim, where we ask them to also have these discussions with these groups, civil society, activist groups, etc., asking them how do they work? How do they, you know, the infrastructural part of, of care work? For us, this is extremely important because we would want to learn whether um, institutions, art institutions, can transform parts of their infrastructural being into uh, more, let's say, uh, non hierarchical forms, different types of um, advocating, discussing, decision-making, etc., etc. Like think, for instance, a very big museum that has these staff meetings that run for seven, eight hours. What if these staff meetings were not staff meetings, were, um, you know, a top-down 
decision-making process uh, is, is happening. And what if, for instance, there were assemblies where the cleaner and the chief curator had an equal say and an equal vote in terms of how they would want the program to go? I know it sounds very radical, but uh, I think it would be extremely interesting. So um, this is the Bureau of Care. Um, this is one part of the Bureau of Care. The findings of that we would uh, be um, publishing next year in what we call a handbook. Uh, there are a lot of encounters, so discussions um, with all these organizations. They, they are uh, published in our website, is the Bureau of Care.org. Um, and also, um, of course, uh, a lot of this thinking has uh, formulated into essays. There have been two essays that were published uh, at, uh, at EFLUX, and then another double essay uh, for the Gropius Bau Journal, which I'm also will be presenting a new, uh, let's say, a new direction of our research um, in November in the Gropius Bau in Berlin. So I think I'll, I'm going to stop here more or less. Um, uh, yeah, well, to kind of end uh, passing the baton to Bignana in a way with a, an incredible quote by Catherine Gibson, being in common, uh, that is community, can no longer be thought or felt as a community of humans alone. It must become a multi-species community that includes all of those whom our livelihoods are interdependent and interrelated. And one of the uh, of the articles that I've uh, published recently is really looking into that the idea of care, the politics and ethics of care, uh, and how they're uh, understood by a Western canon of uh, very much focusing on the individual and care as a duty, as a service, or an innate, let's say, uh, desire. Specifically, when it comes to to women and labor, and how uh, First Nations. Um, uh, indigenous, uh, feminist, and activist ways of thinking uh, in care uh, stem from interdependency and a collective understanding of the self. Um, so this is where our research and our direction is going now. Um, and I think I'm going to stop here. Uh, thank you, Eka team, for this kind invitation. And here I would like to Especially thank to my dear colleague uh, Bianca Vinataputri and uh, Max Delaney, director of ECA, and the technical team uh, behind for enabling these uh, meaningful conversations today. I would also thank Ileana for um, inspiring presentation and many of these things that she just briefly uh, introduced. I really um, deeply relate. Um, I'm speaking to you from an uh, apartment in Belgrade. Um, I have moved from Melbourne back to Serbia only two months ago. <clears throat> and being in, uh, a guest on unceded land while being in Australia in Melbourne, I have learned so much from First Nations people, the ways of knowing and perceiving the world. So here, I would like to pay my respect to all First Nations people listening and watching today's lecture. Um, I would also like to position myself within a presentation. Uh, I'm half Serb, half Macedonian. I was born in Germany, but I've grown up uh, in Yugoslavia with my grandparents' country that doesn't exist anymore. 
My place of birth indicates that my parents uh, went for the better future in the West to become guest biders and to become part of the white privilege in Europe. I went into opposite direction in 2000. I went further east, not really understanding what that would mean uh, for me. In 2000, I went to China and China gave me so much. My curatorial work has been deeply informed by artists organized exhibitions in Shanghai, where at that time in early 2000s, exhibitions and art events were still underground. Thanks to the rise of contemporary art in China, I learned about curating and it was thanks to international exposure of contemporary art from China. My work got exposed internationally and through those passages, I cultivated friendships, working relationship, navigating my own position from where I speak, practice and learn. As the scene drastically changed over last decade, where private uh, sector took over the art scene and uh, interrelationality of the artist organized grassroots culture became thinner and thinner, I ask myself more often and often, what is the international that I want to produce and how that international is produced. Um, and I will kind of relate to many of those aspects through my presentation. Uh, when thinking about the positions, I will open, I would like to propose to open different perspective, thinking about the big, small that fits and everything that fits in between and our relations structures by those definition. I would like to propose to think of ecosystem, our own art ecosystem and our interdependence. I would like to start with beautiful example from the book Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. She talks about example of lichens in the book or umbilicaria that is mutualistic symbiosis of algae and fungus. Algal partner is a collection of cells and turns the light and air into a sugar through photosynthesis, while fungus can liberate minerals for its use. Scientists interested in the marriage of the cells, uh, scientists interested in the marriage try to identify the factors that induce species to live as one. They tried to replicate situation in the lab in ideal condition for both fungus and algae, but they continued to live separately. After trying to understand the reason and factors of making them come together, they understood that symbiosis is happening under very harsh and difficult condition, and that is a crucial factor when they turn to each other. It is world of scarcity, interconnection, and mutual aid becomes crucial for survival. So say the lichens. Our lives are in a similar condition at the moment, being in pandemic for almost two years, we struggled letting go rituals that form our lives. But on the other hand, we also struggled to imagine what the future would look like in the time when today we don't know how tomorrow will look like. Thinking of art ecosystem, what we need to learn living through pandemic is how to start to practice and learn symbiosis of small, big, weak and strong and all in between. Can small penetrate big and vice versa? And what survival strategy could that symbiosis bring? Think about institutions and the relationship in this term. Can we understand institution in relation to ecosystem of different actors being big and small, 
humans and non-humans, and how that environment can change if one of them disappears. How we need nurture each other in the system of neoliberal society, of funding structures that divide us, categories that we are obliged to identify with in order to survive. Is there another way of survival other than competing for limited resources? Restructuring these parameters would require structural change that we are still avoiding to make for a long time. It would mean giving away power and allowing new relations to emerge, and with them new vocabularies. In these uncertain times that we usually define caused by the pandemic, but are actually caused by colonialism defined by Donald Dwayne as a de denial of relationship, being curator, friend, mother, wife, mentor made me think and struggle to imagine the new world that is unfolding in front, of, front filled with urgency to practice of being different kind of human within the world. That different kind of human should acknowledge not only other humans, but also non-human life. Pandemic has deeply imprinted in me understanding that we are all interdependent and that our every action must be based on that very interdependence rather than individuality. Working and thinking through the pandemic with peers, colleagues from different parts of the world made me understand that some of the core aspects of our way of life should be changed to practice that interdependence. That is a very long process and it will take generations to unlearn. Myself with a number of colleagues around the world, including Natasha Betreshin Bachelet, Elena Sorokina, uh, and others, last year changed our naming from independent curator to interdependent curator, as we think that truly described essence of our mode of working. Epeli Hauofa is in his seminal text, Our Sea of Islands, proposes to think about oceans within oceanic islands as a connection point rather than spaces of separation. The curatorial for me is that point of connection that the oceans in how of us texts perform and enable. In 2018, I formed institution What Could Should Curating Do? It is an attempt towards self-instituting tongue-in-cheek. By doing so, What Could Should Curating Do? relates to tradition of artist institution throughout history. It uses strategy of performing stability that institutions contain by defining them as such, and that very image being revealed to outside world gives its freedom to corrupt expectation toward that very definition. What Kushut Curating Do explores production, production of different kind of internationalism as an outcome of this comfort how international has been performed through contemporary practice with main concern how to practice culture as a political movement away from economically bound locations and whether within capitalism Gaps for this kind of relationship exist. What could should creating do develop from the educational program for artists and curators that is run on an annual basis? Since 2018, every year before pandemic, young practitioner would be able, young practitioners would be able to spend three months together learning and unlearning in Belgrade. Through the annual program, we are participating in attempt to question the way art histories are written. Curatorial histories are written, creating citations from the margin. About citational relational, Sarah Ahmed said, citationality is another form of academic relationality. White man is reproduced as a citational relational. White man cites other white men. It is what they have always done. It is what they will 
do. What they do, they teach each other to do, to do when they teach each other. They cite how bright he is, what a big theory he has. Abo mentioned situationality right away forms a serious question. What knowledge we consider to be most worth and how that get prioritized. Through education, we understand the world and our place in it. Art education is part of it. Through education and mentoring, we form a mode of human that we have in mind. What kind of human? And here, you can question what kind of curator or artist gets supported throughout the system. Being in pandemic that accelerated thinking of sustainability and climate change, we are more than ever in need to imagine, can we become a different kind of human? And from where to start engaging with different forms of knowledge and knowing, creating new citations. What could curating do has been learning through recent years to think what kind of citation could actively produce. During the pandemic, we have run educational program over six months, learning from practice of Dunja Blažević Leila Hodžić and the peers. In the 90s, Dunja Blažević moved to Sarajevo, capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina, destroyed with civil war, where generation of artists she worked with were civil war survivals. Through her practice, we learned the meaning of public space and how it could be used in times when there is no institution right after the war or in times of pandemic, when due to safety measures, our institutions are closed. Can art claim to be essential activity and how in these uncertain times? Can art save lives? Duane reminds us that the issue of climate change and sustainability are not problems that science and technology can solve. They are cultural and spiritual problems. We can change things not by telling people what they should do, but by changing the way they live, the way we live. We are actively learning from people and places who contribute to our citation. And here I would like to share with you from whom we are learning from. Zoma Museum is a museum in Addis Ababa established by Maskedem Azigued and Elia Sime. It is a museum created by artists and curator. For me, it has a potential what art museum or art institution could look like. It is a space it is a piece of land with galleries, children playground, library, cow farm, school, and garden. The land on which premises are situated has been contaminated, so they took a time to heal the soil. Whatever they serve in this small restaurant comes from the garden that is bigger than the galleries. The buildings are made using traditional Ethiopian vernacular method of building with mud. It is a space where the dichotomy of inside and outside disappear and where nature of human and, and where nature and non-human world is in close proximity with the rest. Treating earth as a primary source of production of different, on different level, from building to farming, creates unique space where architecture, institution, farming merge in a close proximity with the life. We learn actively from Musea and Red Museum in Networks, the program of Musea Rania Sophia, attempt to decolonize institutions working with network and activist groups, the museum that bravely works towards structural change of itself. As, and as director of Museum Manuel Boria Real Estates, especially after the pandemic, the museum as an institution somehow froze. 
but the networks that we have around the museum blossom and they are becoming stronger. We learned from ecological uprising in Serbia that started in April this year, where people demanded from government protection of natural resources and the clean air. They use their own bodies to protect swamps, mountains and rivers. We are learning from partner cells within an inquiry that I will briefly share in a minute. Stenka Badovina, a partner cell of the inquiry that I will talk about briefly, says, We need modes of working and instituting rooted in that very interdependence that is based on international solidarity. The idea of the shared world can be built only on a different kind of internationalism, which includes international solidarity, by which I mean it respects the needs of individual groups and localities, their rights to survival and to equal participation in the global exchange of ideas and goods, their right to participate in the creation of commons. The common means not only shared natural resources, but also shared social condition for widespread participation in the formation of the world we share. And here, and here thinking about how to practice symbiosis, that I mentioned earlier at the start of the lecture, first curatorial inquiry of what could should curating do is the project as you go the roads under your feet towards the new future. It is a three years project and research inquiry that reflects Belt and Road Initiative and how it will alter the aesthetics and practice of everyday life in different local contexts. And just it's a infrastructural project and here the maps that indicate uh, two main lines of the infrastructural investment on um, sea and the land and it's extremely dynamic as you will see uh, it changes over the time and this is the recent one the title of the project as you go roads under your feet towards the new future refers to the roads these roads could be understood as a visible infrastructure built through the Belt and Road Initiative in the local context where project is situated through metro lines, fast speed trains, railways and bridges. They connect society and enable movement of people, goods, raw material and faster extraction. But the title also refers to the roads that we are building through the projects, roads that are ours, built through walking with and thinking with, leaving marks on grass and flowers that could grow back and make our path invisible again. The inquiry is structured through a partner cells, and uh, you can see them on the screen. Robert Temesgen from Addis Abeba, Aris Sinknek Eschetu Ryder from Addis Abeba, Zdenka Badovinets from Ljubljana, the public library in Bor, Artcom is civic uh, association in Astana, Kazakhstan, US uh, in Belgrade, Times Museum in Guangzhou, and Rockaband Art Museum in Shanghai. As you see, research cells vary from the small-scale single-person organization to private museum. The, different produ the difference produced by their various role and voices within the respective local context, being not only important when considering the politics of knowledge production, but also crucial to premises of the project. Research cells are also dynamic within inquiry. For example, Moderna Galleria from Ljubljana started as a partner cell, but you changes within the state and uh, right-wing right government taking um, the power, Zdenka Badovinac lost the rectorship position and we collectively decided that we will continue working with Zdenka as an active cell. 
And I believe that our bodies within the cell will continue to transform within the future. This configuration of cell did not come due to mutual friendship or to common values that the partners share. These cells came together upon my invitation to the project. That invitation was sent to the cells knowing that they could recognize certain potential within the relationship and possibility to gain something of it. And that something is very different for each single cell. Each partner came with its own intention to learn and learn, to become visible or invisible, and to relate to international community. The most of partner cells we met for the first time in uh, February 2020 in Addis Abeba, and we discussed how we will work. During the meeting, we agreed to approach this inquiry as an exercise of working together for three years, creating the possibility of establishing long-lasting alliance after research inquiry ends. <clears throat> if successful, we will collectively create guidelines announcing how we will work and what our goals continuing to work together will be. If not, we will try to learn from our failures. The natural position of cells and our pleasing instability redefines the notion of authority. It also opens the possibility of collaborative reflection and authorship, as well as a bliss of ignorance that in the presence of another mind is not so easy to achieve. This proposition opens a number of not so easy to answer questions. How might we keep horizontality within the project among the partner cells and how we might go beyond economic means within a project, who is contributing financially, who is not, and how the labor is valued. These very practical political inquiries lead to issues of how we find ways to work together across different localities, especially when there may not be a proper infrastructure in place to support such activity or even contemporary art in general. Is it possible to speak about solidarity across different contexts and on what terms, how we might go about it. How do we imagine and develop different working rituals with each other through this practice? This still ongoing inquiry made me respect different notions of time imposed on us and create space that allow us within inquiry to walk in different pace. It allows us to find ways to organize ourselves differently beyond nation, the state, and face different needs, going beyond small and big, using visibility and opacity as an active strategy, sharing pandemic time with each other to know each other's struggles better. Pandemic, at least for me, opened cracks that can only become bigger and gaps deeper, but at the same time open possibility for experiment and not to be afraid of failure. It opened new time we are entering when some institution will stay as the ruins of Western modernity, while other modes of instituting will start to emerge, proposing new relationships. As this is the last lecture of ECHA this year, and I'm very humbled to be the last speaker, I would like to invite us to think of pandemic time that slows us down, not shut us up, to use spring and summer for coming together to public moments, and at the other time, we allow things and idea to rest, be nurtured, and when ready, again to appear. To reimagine opening doors of our institutions at different times and allow unexpected things to happen, maybe not to have a doors. I invite us to walk again in a close proximity to each other, but really close, touching each other, not to worry of a virus. 
to activate edges of our body, especially our feet, reminding us of importance of walking together. I also invite us to corrupt expectation to deliver and be visible, to be brave, to experiment and fail, to fall. Falls are important. We need to fight to be allowed to fall and to make mistakes, to fail, to revisit Charlie Chaplin and not being afraid to be laughed at, to be vulnerable, to not worry about those who will laugh at us, accept hand of, hand of those who come forward to help you, continue walking with and thinking with. Our visible moments of walking together could be an exhibition, but it could be also a protest, a shelter, or continuation of walking with. Not naming it exhibition delays the definition of what it could be or become, allowing relationship to transform from the need for going public to be situated in that need, rather than in the predetermined formats we are accustomed to in relation to exhibitions and events. It gives us time to imagine what that moment could become by dynamically listening to the times we are in. Proposed as such, a public moment is not the ultimate goal or a final destination, but rather part of the journey towards the core immunity. Thank you, Viliana, and thank you, Iliana, for your wonderful presentations. That was really great to see both of your works, what you've started, um, and I'm actually particularly interested in all the maps that you've shared, um, Iliana and Viliana, and um, I'm a big fan of maps and especially how this idea of place and geography and maps change across history um, and will continue to change I would think in the future which kind of brought me into this question of how would you describe and approach place in your curatorial practice um, and maybe Iliana if you want to respond first to this question with your work with um, State of Concepts and the Bureau of Care how do you approach place and locality when you bring in international artists to Athens um, whilst also kind of highlighting artists um, from the area as well it'll, it'll be great to hear your thoughts and maybe we can pass on to Viliana after Great, thank you. Um, well, I think it's very core, this question, to the practice, well, my independent curatorial practice, but as well as, as the practice of curating through instituting in that sense with state of concept. Um, just to borrow the phrase um, that Sara Rifki somehow described when she opened Beirut, which was an incredible institution actually in Cairo, uh, in, in Egypt um, uh, that sadly doesn't exist anymore. And I think this is a great example to start from of how many times institutions spring from very specific uh, locations with very specific demands and questions that they have as institutions and how, of course, uh, you know, the place, the locality, the locus itself can terminate the existence of an institution. So, um, I mean, I, I gave a very kind of uh, casual uh, introduction of what State of Concept does, uh, but for us, um, the geopolitics of Greece, when we actually began to operate, were extremely uh, important. I think my work as a journalist as well, because I have been a journalist in my first years uh, of being a curator, so my morning job was being a journalist, which involved not only being a cultural journalist, but also, you know, 
tapping into politics and current affairs, etc. So I think that kind of set of skills has never left me in the sense that I feel that an institution should respond uh, to uh, what is happening in the moment. And the idea of the neutrality of the institution, as I mentioned, is, is one that I, I don't subscribe for. So, um, of course, uh, in relationship specifically to the cultural work that we're all doing, the place uh, is always very important. And as I mentioned initially in my lecture, I think, of course, the, the, the wider discursive um, kind of trajectories in terms of the idea of the periphery were very much part of the 90s and we kind of, uh, you know, let them go along the way. Uh, it's very funny that I was talking about that with Natasha uh, Petrashin Bachelors that uh, also Biana has worked with and she said to me, oh my god, wow, you're thinking again of the, that was back in 2015, you're thinking again of the idea of the periphery. And for that, those of us that operate also in the Balkans, um, you know that was never that never left the menu in a way that was always the big question mainly because peripheries and per periphery and precarity are two things that kind of you know uh, are best friends kind of you know go hand in hand um and questions in terms of infrastructures i think they are very much informed by by geopolitics like whether a country has the infrastructures to support an art scene to develop an art scene uh to sustain and further curatorial endeavors and we see a lot of curators and and workers at large art cultural workers moving around because of the obstacles that occur so um for us that was also a challenge like um as i as i mentioned initially i was thinking of of leaving again uh, greece and, and going to what we call Europe, you know, because we, we somehow don't consider ourselves very much part of Europe, although we are in the European Union. Um, and the decision was conscious that at that very moment, it was quite important. There was a brain drain. Everybody from the cultural sector was leaving because of the financial crisis, and we decided to stay. Uh, and that informed as well uh, the identity, per se, of the institution, that we're staying because of, and we want to talk about that. So um, I feel personally that institutions um, should, you know, not uh, in the question of what curating should or could do, uh, but also what curating through instituting could and should do, um, that they should and they can, absolutely can respond uh, to what is currently occurring in, in, in the locus that they're uh, with. And they're very much influenced uh, by that. I, I feel that institutions that do not reflect the uh, local ecology that they operate within uh, remain a little bit irrelevant to, to their wider audiences. And for us, audiences always have been very important. So all the exhibitions that we have been doing with all the artists that we have been working, we always try to somehow center them into what it is that uh, Greece is geopolitically and what it means to be a cultural worker in Greece. Just to give an example, um, our current exhibition is Metahaven and our following exhibition is Kapwani Kiwanga, who is a Canadian artist uh, that lives and works in Paris. I curated an exhibition of Kapwani for after an invitation by Sofia Hernandez Chonkui um, at what was formerly known as Vite de Vite, currently known as Kunst Institut Meli and in, here in Rotterdam, where I am, 
currently. Um, and we were discussing with Kapwani, how do we bring this exhibition at State of Concept in Athens with a completely different um, geopolitical framework from which we operate. So on, on the one hand, Kapwani is an Afro-Canadian artist, therefore her work, her, the specific work that we did together for, for her solo show at uh, Meli uh, was really focused on how plants um, operate within the binary of pharmacon and poison and what are the histories of plants uh, as forms of resistance within the slave trade. Of course, this for the Netherlands has a very specific uh, timeline and has a very, very specific connotations. Um, in Greece, it's a completely different um, question that one can ask, yeah? Because Greece does not have a colonial past um, and has not exercised yet these questions. The idea of decolonization in Greece exists uh, more in terms of decolonizing our own image uh, that, or rather the reflection of our image through the European eye, which is this fetishization of ancient Greece as the mother of Western civilization and this kind of mutation of ancient Greece into something that is a Euro greater European idea that is very much linked to white supremacies that we, we we're not interested in. So um, we're focusing now for her exhibition in different aspects of what resistance is, trying to link it with an Afro-Greek community that is, is the first, let's say, community of second generation um, migrants or first generation Greeks with a, a second background as well. Um, and this is, this is a very interesting uh, way of kind of looking at her work or the work that we did together also um, at uh, Kunstinstitut Meli through a different perspective. Just to give one example, I, I spoke a little bit about forensic architecture as well. Um, Kader Atia's solo show, for instance, was very much focused on the research that Kader has been doing on restitution and what restitution means in relationship to repair. And of course, for Greek audiences, this is a very pertinent question. The Parthenon marbles, of course, having been looted and being still at the British Museum, being quite a, you know, kind of a core question of, of the Greek psyche in that sense of, you know, how many of our artifacts are in European museums because they have been looted throughout the ages. So we always try to kind of center uh, the artist, center the practice and relate it to local questions because I, I, I don't see an, any other way of really, um, producing fruitful dialogues and synapses between uh, audiences and practices. Thank you, Ileana, that's wonderful. And, and I think there's it's so rich as well. I'm constantly writing notes um, as I'm going. Um, and that idea of, um, I kind of, and before I pass on to Ileana, I really like that idea that you mentioned about um, why you stayed and why you started. <laughs> and this idea of coming together and, producing or and creating space in times and practicing art in times of crisis right whether it's the financial crisis or the pandemic or the climate crisis that is currently what we're going through now um, it does bring in really important um, discussion and does put us in a very specific um, place and position in in our work um, but that's quite interesting also Bilena, with your work with as you go um, 
how just, just to make if I, if I can Bianca just to make one small asterisk mm. also because uh, uh, Bianca mentioned uh, the concept of internationalism and I think it, for many of us kind of internationalism versus the local or the idea of the global and whether that can exist you know it has been a question through our practice and I think in terms of institutional building uh, in peripheries uh, this is one of the first dilemmas because especially if you are in a periphery you somehow want to link even more with a global um, and I feel that this is the this is a big curatorial challenge in that sense of how can you actually do that by not abandoning um, the way that any subject can relate to the local because you see it a lot I think sometimes we're all guilty of it this desire to connect uh, with all the trending kind of curatorial thematics, decolonization, you know, uh, all this. And you see, especially after BLM, all this like wokeness that you see from the big institutions. But I think there is where we fail many times. If we don't link it with local struggles, local questions, local thematics that audiences will relate to and understand thematics in, in, by filtering them through their own experiences, um, internationalism can never um, can never succeed. So this was just like, sorry, my small kind of asterisk. No, that's great. I think that's a great segue to Vilyana to talk about her place and and that idea of the of bringing in the local, especially with so many cells. Yeah. I, I'm I would be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Um, yes, I actually just a side note. Um, watching Eliana's uh, presentation, I usually include those maps and I actually deleted them during the presentation. Then I said, oh, I have to put them back. <laughs> so they kind of resonate because you, you when you visually see things, they're different. Um, uh, I will give you an anecdote that actually was a trigger for me to start what Kushu Curating do. Um, that was in 2017. Um, that I usually kind of uh, refer as a preformation of what I'm trying now to understand what I'm doing and where I'm going. Um, and in Belgrade, there is an exhibition that is now turned to Biennial called October Salon, which is big, one of the biggest annual exhibitions within the region. And um, and um, at that time was uh, curated by uh, David Elliott and friend of one of my friends from China participated and got a very big award. His name is Sun Xun, an animation artist. And um, I saw the news, so it was really advertised through a, a mainstream media. I saw the news uh, and I was in Shanghai at the time and I said, wow, congratulations, you got this award. And he looked at me blankly like, uh, what? He didn't even know that he participated in this exhibition, not to speak that he got an award. So, and that really kind of stayed very unsettling to me as a question like, what kind of exhibition or um, attempt to, towards decolonizing space like Serbia on the margin needs, you know? Uh, it's so easy to make these pre-packed exhibitions. Um, and one of my responses later was an exhibition titled by artist uh, Vladimir Nikolic, uh, when the other meets the other other, because within these spaces on uh, peripheries that Ileana just discussed, 
uh, we are really bound to economical structure that leads our knowledge production. And this is uh, our constant failure, you know, and these places are very much connected to the EU funding. Um, so this power of discourse, there is always there as a tension. Um, so that maybe maybe really think about structural changes, what kind of internationalism this place needs, what kind of modes of working um, this place needs. Um, and it, this was all rather new to me because most of my work um, before 2017, I have to say, was elsewhere. But when I did this first exhibition here, I understand that maybe the most crucial is education and support of young people because they don't have a money or tools to go to study in the EU because they simply cannot, it's not affordable for them, you know. Uh, they, they are, we are not part of EU, so you cannot even get the funding for those uh, um, uh, schools. So, um, and I think that stays as an important um, commitment <clears throat> within the crucial peripheries. And I think what this place, um, geopolitical space has is, is a really interesting history that I can somehow deeply relate to because being so much informed by non-Western context in China, um, and that's, for example, non-aligned movement and all the legacy that we actually, today, we did not properly activate and we didn't, we don't really we didn't establish tool to think what those encounters, historical uh, trajectories mean for us today. Um, and I think one of the very important things of our commonalities within As You Go project that I just um, briefly talked about is, is, is non-aligned legacy and how those legacies uh, could be uh, activated for our relationships today. What do they mean today? So to just give you an example, um, just the last week, uh, there was a 60 years anniversary of non-aligned movement uh, because it was established in Belgrade. Uh, so during the pandemic time where you have thousands of infected still here, you have a 200 leaders from, I still call them very bluntly, third world countries. <laughs> Uh, coming to Serbia, including uh, Russia and China, because uh, uh, as a kind of um, um, uh, participants in the discussions. So, um, but I do think that, you know, non-aligned <clears throat> legacies that this specific place does contain as a part of the history in cultural exchange, they will always somehow top-down uh, connections. So what I'm really interested or trying to experiment is, is what are the relationships that we really need and how we can nurture those relationships. Um, and I think within those experiments, you really have to go to um, very unpleasant questions. Uh, and very concrete questions that I mentioned that we go through, like how funding is shared, uh, who decides on these things, what are the dynamics within the person as a cell, individuals as a cell, institu an institution as a cell. You know, they are very different 
um, dynamics, working dynamics. You know, how do you explain the museum theme that we don't work within those timelines and deadlines that we usually inhabit when we work towards the project around the institution and how you can actually stretch that time, which I think uh, has been extremely uh, important uh, experience for me during the last 20 months to actually try out those things and um, listen uh, from other partner cells. Yeah, brilliant. I, I do want to pick up on your last point about time and listening, which, which I find when we talk about place, we also eventually, well, we need to talk about time as well. Um, whether it is our practice is can be time sensitive or respond to the current times like Ileana, what you do with the exhibition that came straight after Brexit, um, how important time is in our practice, but also what you just mentioned, uh, Bilania, about slowing down. And I wrote this because I have to quote this. It's like letting ideas rest and be nurtured. Um, so how would you describe time in our practice? Like how, I, I feel like time is so much part of our lives and of our art practice, but often you're right. We're always either deadline after deadline. We're coming into this rush of presenting something, creating some kind of output that oftentimes time is taken for granted, whereas this pandemic have really slowed that down. So I'm interested to hear from the both of you how you would describe time in your curatorial practice um, and in our broader um, practice instituting or within art in infrastructures. Um, and yeah, I'm really happy to throw it to anyone who wants to respond first. I can go. Um, I mean, it's a great question in the sense that, of course, time is a luxury. Time is a luxury for one and time is a colonial invention for, for two. Uh, I was just reading an incredible article at the Funambulist, which is a, a, a journal uh, where uh, one artist is having a conversation with his grandfather uh, and they, uh, they are both Tunisian uh, and they are uh, debating time because the grandfather is trying to explain to him that the way that the timeline of liberation struggles is known is the time that the French colonizer has imposed, that there are specific moments in time where the colonizer has recognized things when things actually for the Tunisian people are very different. So uh, I've read this a week ago and it's still in my mind, like how of course time is very, very relative for various reasons, you know, not Einstein reasons only, but also other reasons as well. But I will go to the idea of time as luxury because um, it, it is a double-sided co coin here. State of concept is a small scale institution with no, with no uh, uh, state infrastructural funding, which means that we need to fundraise constantly and we can plan two years ahead uh, that's because of, of my OCD, you know, that I, I want to kind of plan ahead uh, way along, but that's the maximum that you can do in Greece, because there is no funding from the state, you need to be extremely creative. We have the luxury to be very fast in our programming and to switch our programming and to respond, which is something that a very big museum with, say, 50 members of staff cannot very easily do. It's an excuse also that they use that, of course, you know, oh, BLM, we don't have enough time to respond. Oh, you know, decolonization, we don't have enough time. We need time. 
you know, they can be faster if we're talking about public programs, for instance. But with us, we have this luxury of, of manipulating, of molding, of, you know, mutating, of splitting, of fleshing out time uh, because of the scale. So that is one uh, hand. What we don't have uh, as a luxury is the luxury of slowing down, because when you are in a precarious and peripheral uh, situation, uh, when you slow down too much, that means that you don't you you know you have to have you have to be able to afford it financially, very pragmatically to slow down. So it's it's really funny, uh, you know, how uh, things work from wherever you know, also in terms of scales of institutions, but also in terms of, of locations of institutions. Um, however, I am, uh, let's say, um, an advocate of slowing down. And just to, to grab on your example in terms of COVID, Bianca, we produced very little content during the COVID pandemic, and especially during the lockdown that we had, uh, yeah, as I said, it was end of October, first week of November of 2020 until May that we were totally shut down with a previous shorter lockdown during the first wave. We did that consciously. Uh, we had the luxury of, I, I work for free for the institution, uh, because of Greek law, I cannot get paid because I'm the founder, but I have staff that is paid. We had the luxury of the state giving um, very small support to everyone that was uh, forced to close. So we had the luxury of actually producing content because we were being paid whilst we were, our, our staff was being paid, paid whilst we were closed. But we chose not to produce a lot of content on purpose because we felt that we need to have the time to actually absorb what is happening. And we felt that it's, it's uh, let's say, an obligation of ours as cultural workers to, in fact, digest and respond through our practice of, on what is, what is a global pandemic, what does a global pandemic mean? And having this luxury of time and this choice of slowing down brought forward the Bureau of Care. I mean, we only did uh, two uh, online events during the whole eight months. We did nothing else. Um, and I, I, I thought that that was very important and very fruitful for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so interesting, that two side of the coin that you, that you mentioned and um, how time is a luxury but also it's on the other hand, whether or not we could slow down, um, whether we can afford slowing down. Um, and Liliana, um, I would, it'll be interesting to hear in comparison with your projects that, you know, for example, bring in different people into, and they're all the cells in the As You Go project and how they're experiencing time very differently. Mm. They're experiencing the pandemic very differently on top of other kind of um, social crisis. How, how, how would you, um, approach that in your practice. Mm. Yeah, I, I really appreciated uh, vulnerability uh, of Liliana saying that slowing down, you cannot sometimes afford it. And I think this is very, very important that we acknowledge. Um, and during the last 20 months, um, what... Uh, I think I will go back a little bit uh, further in time. I think um, my kind of um, curatorial 
um, strategies of stretching the time where you work with institutions as independent curator where you are invited to, you know, within a certain timeline to, to produce an exhibition as an outcome and after you deliver your your kind of relationship ends. Um, throughout many of my projects, I actually try to stretch the time beyond exhibition. So like even if, when exhibition ends, there will be a seed that will stay within institution and kind of um, um, try to allow institution and to, to grow that seed and, and nurture it and um, allow it to somehow coexist beyond exhibition um, because exhibitions are like temporal realities. And just to give you an example, there is a beautiful space that came out through through my exhibition, last exhibition in Guangzhou um, before the pandemic uh, in China that artists and those who need it still use it. Um, but it's kind of established through the supporting structure of the exhibition. Um, so I did number of attempts trying to stretch that time because in order to establish deeper relationships, you need the time. And we usually don't have that time. So, and um, and I understand, I, like being independent, working with an institution on those terms, you're always somehow as a guest. Uh, so I always try to complicate this relationship of a guest and the host and what that can bring um, to institution in terms of a slightly deeper change. Um, and um, I think those kind of thinking also reflect on how we work with uh, as you go inquiry. Um, what is important that that for me as a, some kind of mediator within the cells that I um, allow that equal different understandings of time and a different knowledge that we don't embody coexist equally. And that, I have to say, has been um, when that's just pandemic started and whole political tension, uh, that was extremely difficult to uh, to navigate and to, to listen how to actually um, address that. But just in practical terms, for example, Ethiopia, they still they have their own way of uh, uh, speaking of time and counting time that is not ours, and I actually tried to learn and understand uh, what does that mean within a, like a daily ritual. Um, but also, I think what is slightly different from Iliana's um, struggle is that I have uh, chosen to not to have these two years somehow predetermined public moments because. Um, for me, just dealing with this within this inquiry, I had realized we all realized together that it's very important that we keep um, right to visibility and opacity as a kind of active choice to respond to different political changes within the context that we are working in, economical changes, but also uh, mental changes of our partner cells. And I think this is. Uh, this has been extremely important to learn uh, for me how to keep safe your partner cells 
um, how to nurture that space of intimacy and the mutual trust and um, how to speak about the same inquiry in different contexts differently in order to um, keep our colleagues safe um, and keep this right to be visible and opaque as a kind of active choice. Um, but of course, it's a precarious uh, inquiry. We, we do have a structural fund of the probably same supporting institution as State of Concept does. But, um, and I think these are like structural changes within the supports and um, our precarity is something that we really need to kind of start working on and experiment with different models. And this is one of the reasons why I have been actively learning from different uh, colleagues on who's been, who have been doing this for, for many years uh, before me. Thank you, Juliana, and, and thank you, Ileana, also for being so honest and candid with, with this process. Um, I think one of the things that I find really great in both of your practice is that you approach your practice as um, an ongoing process and not as a, a finished product, <laughs> that it's always one informing the next um, and that it's evolving with time. And something that um, kind of sits with me over this past year doing these lecture series, you know, we talked to um, other curators and artists um, that looks at digital realm, that looks at education, that looks at the ecological and exchange. And I, and I sort of question, uh, what does it mean to be having these conversations now? Um, and I kind of want to close with two part questions, which is kind of hard, but um, I hope you uh, can be as open to it too, is first, what is the responsibility of the curator now? And also being the final lecture, how, what do you think is the future of art institutions, of curating and of instituting? Um, what is the future of art infrastructures for us? Um, and I think that's a beautiful way of closing the lecture series is to, to think about the future, but also th to think about now. Um, and again, happy for anyone to jump in <laughs> uh, to those two quite heavy questions, but I'd love to hear from you both about um, that responsibility and the future of curating and art practice. I think I did a little bit address that um... Uh, during the presentation, um, I, I do think starting first as a human and then as a curator um, or educator, um, we really have to start practicing uh, what we have been discussing. Um, but we also need to actively um, create new citations uh, where those things are coming from, uh, where this, no this knowledge is coming from, um, how that knowledge relates to us, what are the things that we have access to, what are the things that we shouldn't have access to, but really just to allow that those different citations exist um, within the knowledge system and try to really practice those different knowledge uh, of how to really, first of all, relate to the world and then really try to implement those things going to your role as, as, as a curator or a friend or a mother or, you know, practitioner in the field. 
um, museum director. And I think uh, those are the, I think, experiments that it will take generations to unlearn. And I think we are really at the beginning, but I think it's important that we practice those things, that they don't stay as a merely um, uh, mere theory, you know, um, of um, looking at a crisis from a distance and trying to stretch those uh, things. I've been uh, actually very uh, amused by certain, uh, there were a few symposiums on crisis of the museums, and I actually, um, I was amazed that, you know, they, their, their response to the current crisis that we are, um, are through expanding the collection to the non-Western, Black, uh, queer artists. Uh, they, they will uh, um, bring different storytelling. But, you know, we've been trying to... Uh, make public or visible these different storytellings for a very, very long time, you know. Uh, we, they were just not, they were just ignored. So um, I do think that the people that we have to start practicing of being dof- different kind of human being, first of all. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Miliana kind of, uh, you know, with the way that she poses it, she addresses both the institution and the individual uh, at the same time with uh, with what uh, I have to say, I agree completely because institutions are people. Uh, and we have a saying in Greece that says the fish stinks from the head, which means that when institutions have really bad people or, uh, you know, uh, insensitive people running them, then, uh, you know, the, the whole institution has a very specific profile. Uh, and I absolutely echo uh, what Biana said in terms of practicing what we preach and not practicing to the already converted. I think that's another uh, quite important point because um, we are very happy to self-congratulate and self-indulge each other in our own small uh, world uh, where everybody understands uh, what Silvia Federici means, what Edouard Glisson means, and what's, you know, uh, what have you, Sadia Hartman and all the kind of trending current theoreticians mean. But what that does mean for our audiences, I think is a question that we are very, very often overlooking and we should be refocusing on that, mainly because um, art, in my humble opinion, is an agitator, should be an agitator, and curators and institutions just facilitate and um, platform, for a lack of a better word, that, or they should, and when we, for decades on, uh, been forgetful and care less for our audiences, then we also break this communication between audience and institution, the medium and the transport mechanism being the artwork, and thus um, helping with the pacification of subjectivities in terms of injustices. I think that art at the moment has the capacity um, and the luxury, I will say again, to be able to pass messages that uh, might be deemed too political if they're not an artwork or too difficult or too forthright or too, too, too by the normative, you know, heterosexual whiteness that uh, governs us. Uh, So I think 
this is something that we should be focusing on the future a lot for. Um, I mean, again, of course, epistemic injustices are uh, are very much part of it. Uh, and uh, Biana very, very uh, correctly um, quoted Sarah Ahmed, who has been proposing something very simple, but also very difficult. Stop quoting white men and let's see what we can do with that. If you if you do not start by Walter Benjamin and maybe you try to find a woman that was contemporary of Walter Benjamin and was probably critiquing somehow in a random pamphlet somewhere that is probably in a, in a library that no one knows about, uh, was critiquing Benjamin. Let's go and find more about her. If, you, if we want to start about from, from Benjamin, right? Or maybe even better, forget about the Western canon and what Benjamin and his uh, also uh, very strict uh, white fellow men like Adorno and others were thinking at the time and look at other types of translations of the of the, the then present or of our present that come from uh, other uh, geopolitical uh, kind of uh, trajectories and genealogies. So that is one. Um, I would also kind of turn into a more kind of sci-fi uh, side in terms of the future of the institution. If we do not make all these very important and necessary changes um, that's uh, will also be brutal changes in, in, for some that do not desire change, then I think that the future of the institution is very bleak. Uh, and because we see at this very moment a global um, uh, rise of right-wing and conservative politics in one way or another, in very different formations and manifestations, that doesn't seem to die out because Trump left the, the US uh, presidency. Um, I really believe that progressive politics that arrive from intersectional feminist and queer trajectories are super important in order to salvage the institution as such because they can inform different ways of operating and we saw that very much with the Bureau of Care, like these collective structure, structures that arrive from these legacies and these genealogies have answers to um, problematics of institutional infrastructures that um, we wouldn't even imagine. And for them, they're very simple because they've been doing them for, for many years. So I think the future of institution lies in, in these radical structures and the knowledges they can offer. We only, I mean, they've been there. We just need to listen and, and learn. Thank you, Ileana, and thank you, Violana. That was a wonderful way to wrap up, but I, I also really want to highlight that idea of being human. And as Violana, you said, starting as a human, and Ileana, you said, institutions are people. And being human is also being vulnerable. And I think sometimes institutions have this kind of wall and security where, well, you know, we, we can't and we shouldn't be vulnerable. Whereas I think once we break those barriers and be responsible with our actions, um, acknowledging that and be vulnerable, these kind of radical structures could take place and we could kind of imagine that future or work towards that future where we are sort of more honest with what we do, we are more collaborative, collaborative in what we do, and we, as you said, Elena, so perfectly um, practicing what we preach and not just to the converted. 
just for one last note that I, I just realized when you were thinking, it, I, I, I don't think it's only that, but I think it's also that just to not only focus on the Western canon and the predicaments that it has put us in. But the idea of the institution itself is a legacy of a white Western modernity that comes from the ethnographic museum. What we, all the white passing, semi-white, peripheral, brown, black bodies, uh, precarious, anything that is not in the center of of the Imperium, the US, you know, the first, the so-called first world, is also to stop wanting to become this institution, stop construct constructing, building, um, reproducing uh, these structures of the institution and the infrastructures for me and the way that power trickles down in these institutions mm -hmm. from very simple things like positions in an institution to even more simple things like the way we make labels you know, and the way we um, borrow something and have all these bureaucracy. And I think all these legacies also we need to reconsider. For those of us that are making institutions outside of, of uh, these geopolitical locations and trajectories. Sorry, just one small note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, uh, just to add on Eliana's, and uh, I think you, I know you need to end, um, but I think uh, what she just said, it's, it's a very important, and this has been a very big uncomfort for me because I think China has had this institutional rise of private institution that mostly mimic a certain kind of museum from the West. But um, Dorothea von Huntelmann really beautifully and very clearly pointed out that only when we reinvent the new ritual, we can reinvent new institutional models. So we really need to try experimenting and failing and falling and breaking leg and breaking exhibition, uh, you know, in order that the new things can come out from that crack. But it's a very long process of us to, towards unlearning. Thank you. That was, I think that wraps up really nicely. And, and that idea again of, um, sort of not becoming those institutions, as you said, Ileana, um, is, I mean, for example, the first thing that came to my mind is um, these, the collect, art, artist collectives. I'm from Indonesia, so particularly from Southeast Asia. One in the Philippines, Green Papaya Art Projects decided to shut down last year, not because of COVID, but because they realized that their purpose is done and that I realized things end. And sometimes that idea of institutions lasting forever that's also a concept that we, we are trying to break away from. It's that sometimes not everything lasts forever and that it has its time. Um, so yeah, I think that's wonderful to speak about these sort of breaking these legacies. And, and, and as you said, Diana, falling and experimenting and trying again. And I think that's a great way to sort of wrap up our conversations. Um, and I do wanna thank you both again for a really rich discussion. Um, I, I really wanna do a part two, just us, <laughs> not recorded uh, with a glass of wine and we can have a bit more of a chat, but it's wonderful. That would be lovely. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful to have you both. Um, I can't wait thank to share this with the world um, and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Liana. Thank you both.